going to make a start. Um, welcome to the Bible track. Um, we are here for the next kind of 45 minutes-ish, something like that. Um, and we are going to be exploring um, Mark's Gospel with the help of Tim Keller's book, King's Cross. Um, you don't need to have any knowledge of King's Cross at all. Um, I'm just using it as a starting point of, um, of each week's study. Um, there'll be a few other people other than me as well leading. Um, a few of them are in the room, so that's really exciting. Um, so I am going to pray and then we can get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that you know us, that you love us. Thank you for your word, that we are able to seek you in it, that we are able to learn more about who you are and your love for us. And I ask that in this time, each of us would draw closer to you, know more of you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. So, um, these sessions are going to run, so I'm going to do a bit of chatting, and then we're going to um, turn to the people around us and do lots of discussing. So, um, it's, not, it's not just going to be me talking for 45 minutes. Um, I want there to be lots of ideas bouncing around the room. Um, depending on how buzzy the room feels, I might even get people to potentially give some feedback. Uh, and also depends on time. I've got quite a lot on my paper, so it depends. Um, so, a little introduction into Mark's Gospel uh, before we delve in. Um, Mark is written by um, somebody who knew, was around in Jesus' time. Um, his name was John, and in the New Testament it says, John, also known as Mark. So he's called Mark because there's a lot of Johns around. Um, he, most of his experiences and stories come from Peter, so um, a lot of them will come from Peter's preaching, so they'll be, they'll, yeah, they'll, they, they were arranged by Mark within the Gospel, but they will have come from what Peter experienced, um, Peter walking on the water, what, how, how Peter found it. Um, Mark was also, Mark's Gospel was also written for a Roman audience, so um, unlike Matthew's Gospel, which was written for a Jewish audience, um, this is written for a Roman audience, so it's written for people who didn't really know much of the Jewish law, didn't really know much of, um, of, of any kind, anything that, that was around in, in Jesus' time. They, they, were from a, they were in a completely different, um, different area, and therefore it meant that Mark was writing, he was explaining some of the Jewish customs, he's explaining, quite a lot of it will just be him saying, this is, this is, the, this is what the Jews, Jewish law was, this is how they behaved, but this is why Jesus came, um, and he came for all people. So we'll see a bit later on um, that Jesus, Mark is very clear that Jesus comes for everyone, um, and he doesn't only come for the Jews. Um, so... At the start of um, the sessions that I'm going to lead, I'm going to have a, something called Time to Focus. This is just going to be a short time where um, I want everyone to engage slightly with the text in maybe a way that we haven't done before. Um, so today we're looking at Mark 11, 
Um, so if you have Bibles on you, it would be really helpful to open those up. I do have it on the screen, but I realise it's really small and actually really hard to read. <laughs> I'll change that for next time. I'm going to read it off my phone. Um, I'm reading from the NIV. Um, so if you have an NIV, great. If not, don't worry. It'll be, quite, it'll be pretty similar. Um, so I'm just going to read 1 to 10. We're going to cover the whole chapter. But I'm going to read 1 to 10, and then I'm going to go into time to focus. So starting at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why, you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming King of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So in this time now, I'd like to spend a few moments where we close our eyes and we engage with the text in a slightly different way. So if everyone can close their eyes and take a deep breath in and then out, just to forget about the day that has passed. Imagine that you are walking into work and you see a man standing at the entrance of your workplace. There's a crowd around him. He look, looks a bit scruffy and he's arrived on what looks like an old rusty bicycle. And people are praising him. They're praising his name, but you aren't sure who he is. What's your reaction to him? You can open your eyes, and it would be great if, just with the people around you, if you share your response to that. So how did you react to that man outside your workplace? I'll give you two minutes to do that. Okay, if we can come back together, that would be great. So, um, I, just to give you a bit of my, I've, I've done two drama degrees, so I quite like putting myself in the story. Um, I quite, I engage in a way that, that helps, I, I really, I really love the, being able to um, get into the story and kind of understand where I'm at and who the characters are. 
um, and who the people are that were, were surrounding Jesus, why they were doing what they were doing. Um, I didn't use Jesus because um, I think it's sometimes if you say, Jesus was walking to your workplace, you imagine Jesus in a white robe and sandals walking to your workplace. might be a bit hard. Um, so, but I hope that that was a way of kind of getting into the passage and potentially a way that you, you haven't done before. Um, so we're going to move on to point one. Um, so majesty and meekness. On, on your handouts, um, there are the different sections um, and the discussion questions, which we'll get to later on. Um, and when we go in for discussion, feel free to write notes. You guys can take these home. So um, feel free to write down whatever, whatever you want at the time. Um, so we've read Mark 11, 1 to 10, which I'll just put up on the screen. Um, here we have Jesus, who is the king. He's the Messiah. He's the king of authoritative, miraculous power. He's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Um, the Greek word is polos, which means a colt or a donkey. Yet, in that time, it would be expected for a king to ride in on a majestic stallion or a war horse. So why is Jesus different? Why was he not provided with a stallion? Because he is a king. When I was a child, um, I used to play a game called I'm the King of the Castle and You're the Dirty Rascal. Um, and it was one of my favourite games. Um, we used to, in the park I used to go to, there was a hill. And well, I mean, I, it looked like a hill. It was probably only about this high. Um, but it felt like a hill at the time. And the person that got to the hill first was the king. Um, and that meant that we could shout at whoever we wanted and tell them that they were dirty and tell them that they were naughty and tell them they were horrible and tell them what to do. And we were all powerful. That's what we were. We were the all-powerful king. And Jesus is the all-powerful king, yet that's not how he behaves. Jesus is humble. He treats people with love and with humility. Jesus needed to fill, fulfill scriptural prophecies. It's another reason why he came into um, Jerusalem riding a donkey, not a horse that would have, would have given him what seemed like more power at the time. So, in Zechariah 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this was one of the prophecies in the Old Testament, um, and it's one of the prophecies about Jesus that was what the prophets at the time were looking out for. They were looking out for the king who came on a donkey, um, and that is one of the reasons why we know Jesus is the Messiah. Um, so Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey, and that is the divine plan. Yet Jesus didn't act as a king, he was humble. And the crowds of the time wouldn't have expected that. Yet they still loved him, they still knew that he was their Messiah. So we're now going to go into a bit of time of discussion. Um, I'm going to flip back to um, Mark 11, 1 to, 1, 1 to 10. So, um, on your sheets, there are three questions. 
Um, how did the disciples respond to Jesus' command? How would you respond to Jesus' command in verses 2 and 3? And when are there times when we act as though we are royalty, we are all-powerful, um, we are completely in control in our own lives? And I'd love it if we could spend a few minutes now discussing those things with each other. Um, it might be that the first two are slightly easier to discuss with people and the third one is slightly more vulnerable. Um, please do be open with each other, but if, that, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, spend some time with God writing down your answer um, and do it in your heart instead of with other people if that's, if that's how you feel. But please do share with the first two questions. Um, I'll give us about five minutes. So we've got a reasonable amount of time. Um, and I will call us all back together then. Cool. So hopefully we've spent a bit of time um, talking about how the disciples responded to Jesus um, and how we might have responded to him um, if, if we were there, if we, if we were doing what, what the disciples were doing. So... We know that Jesus is the king, he's the majestic king, and he's the heavenly king who comes to show us that there's a different way to live, that we don't need to have a king or queen in our life other than him, and Jesus is the king of our hearts. Oh no, oh yeah, there we go. I'm not very good at PowerPoints. Um, <laughs> So, um, Revelation 5, verses 5 to 6, says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now that's from Revelation. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Um, and there's a lot of stuff, just even in those two verses, that talk, goes back into Old Testament theology. Um, and I'm just gonna pick out two bits. If you want to know more about what this says outside of the two bits that I pick out, please do come and chat to me afterwards. Um, but I don't have time to go through it. It'll take a whole session just to go through those two verses. Um, so we're going to look at the fact that Jesus is lion and lamb. Lions are majestic and they are all-powerful. And lambs are humble, meek and sacrificial. And Jesus is described as both a lion and a lamb. Jesus is both all-powerful and sacrificial. These two animals, lions and lambs, don't really seem to meet in the world we, we're in today. I think if we put a lion and a lamb in a pen together, it probably wouldn't end very well. Yet, Jesus is described as both because Jesus is both majestic lion and sacrificial lamb. Tim Keller, in his book, um, King's Cross, he says that in Jesus we find infinite majesty, yet complete humili humility, perfect justice, yet boundless grace, 
absolute sovereignty, yet utter submission, all sufficiency in himself, yet entire trust in God. Jesus is a complete and beautiful whole, a mix of what might seem like mutually exclusive traits, yet Jesus holds them all. So let's remember that Jesus is our all-powerful lion and our sacrificial lamb. So Mark 11, 9 to 10, which we have read, says those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The crowds are praising Jesus. They're acknowledging that he is their saviour. The word Hosanna can be translated as save or as saviour. So although Jesus is riding a donkey, he is still recognised as their all-powerful saviour. So a bit more time for discussion. Um, Two questions. The crowds recognise Jesus as the Messiah. When have been the times in your life when you've been able to recognise Jesus as your saviour, as your Messiah? And where do you need Jesus to be your all-powerful lion or your sacrificial lamb? Feel free to discuss. If you want to do this on your own, then please do. Um, I'm, some, some of the questions can feel like they're a bit vulnerable. So um, do feel free to write. And again, do it with God in your heart. Um, I'll give like two, two or three minutes for this. So off you go. So let's come back together. That might have been quite a challenging few questions. Um, I know they they certainly were when I was preparing for me. Um, So moving into point two, um, opening the temple. This was always my favourite part of Mark 11. Uh, Always has been. You'll see why. I'm going to get this on my phone. I can't read it off my screen. Sorry, it's so small, guys. Didn't do very well on that one, did I? Okay. You might also think we've missed a bit out, but we're going to go back to it. It's just in a weird order. So, starting at verse 15... On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So Jesus goes to the temple. Um, The bit that we read earlier says that he went home to Bethany. Well, not home. He went to Bethany. So he's come back again the next day to the temple. And what does he find in the temple? He finds money changers, animal sellers. People shouting for the best price, for the most amount of money. There is noise everywhere. This isn't simply like a supermarket where you hear a polite announcement over the tannoy. 
This is shouting, animals barring, animals mooing, chirping, people running around, frantically trying to get the most amount of money. This place was noisy, more noisy than even a nursery, and I find nurseries loud. And Jesus got angry. Not because he didn't like the people shouting, or he didn't like there being noise, or that he didn't like there being animals in the temple. Jesus got angry because the people were making the noise in the only place where non-Jews could go in the temple. Jesus got angry because there was nowhere in the temple for them to go and pray. There was nowhere for them to quietly connect with God. Jesus was the advocate for the Gentiles. He was overturning the Jewish sacrificial system by overturning the tables in the temple in order to open the way into the presence of God for everyone. So how do you think Jesus would react to your life? Do you have space in your life for quiet, sacred time to connect with God? I find it really hard. Um, there's always my phone to look at. There's always another episode to watch on Netflix. There is always somebody to talk to. There is always something to be doing. Yet, Jesus here is saying we need quiet space to connect with God. So, moving into another bit of discussion, there are three questions. Um, a house of prayer for all people is what Jesus wanted the temple to be. What does that say about the importance of prayer to Jesus and then the importance of prayer for us? And how did the teachers of the law react and why did they fear Jesus? And question three, what are the noises in your life, I've mentioned a few of mine, there are definitely more, that get in the way of you and your time with God, you and your prayer life? So again, if... Um, the first two questions, potentially sharing with each other. If you um, don't want to share the third one with other people, then feel free to write stuff down and connect with God in that. Um, but please do share as much as you feel comfortable with. Um, and I'll give us another five minutes. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll have, have some time for discussion. Okay, so let's come together for our final point of the session. So, so far we've looked at um, the majesty and meekness of Jesus. And we've looked at Jesus in the temple, turning over um, the temple courts, and what that means um, for Jesus and prayer, and what that might mean for us and our prayer lives. And now we go into potentially one of the times where we see Jesus um, as really human. Um, I... I quite like this because it's something that I always am. I'm going to read the passage first and then um, you can probably guess, guess what emotion it is that Jesus is feeling at the time. Um, so it's Mark 11, 12 to 14, so the bits that we skipped out earlier. So, the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. 
When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So that might seem um, slightly random and a little bit strange and bizarre. What, what's Jesus doing with a fig tree? Why is he, why is he telling it the fig tree to, to stop ever bearing fruit? Um, well, partly because he was hungry and he really wanted to eat something. I'm always hungry, like literally all the time. Um, and I'm currently on a diet called the low FODMAP diet, which um, it's not a diet to lose weight, it's a diet to help you find out what makes you ill. Um, and it makes me really hungry. I'm literally hungry. I'm hungry right now. I've eaten dinner and I'm still hungry. Um, and it's a very human thing to feel hungry. And Jesus was hungry. It gives me such kind of joy in my heart to know that Jesus was actually hungry. It's great. Like, you don't really see him. Apart from the Lord's Supper, you don't really see him eat. But he was hungry here. Um, and that, that's, that makes me quite happy. Um, but what is this little, little, tiny little parable in the middle of this? chapter all about. Um, so fig trees, little biology lesson, um, fig trees would sprout nodules before they had fruit. So you'd see them in leaf and you'd find the nodules and then, you'd, then they'd have fruit. But if there are leaves on the fig trees um, but there are no nodules, then that means that inside the tree is starting to decay and it's not going to bear any fruit again. Sounds, it feels like a, a bit of a strange parable to put in. Why is Jesus telling this parable? Um, well, because he wanted people to listen to it and take some meaning from it. It's quite hard to do that when you don't really understand what it's about. So I'm going to do a little bit of explaining. Um, I believe, and Tim Keller believes, that this is all about Jesus saying to his disciples and to the people around him that if you look, you can look as though you are bearing fruit. We can all look as though we're bearing fruit. But if on the inside we're decaying, if we're not spending that time with God, like Jesus in the temple says, we need quiet to spend time with God, then we might look like we're bearing fruit, but actually we're not getting closer to God. We're not spending that time with him. Um, so we're going to go into a bit of time of discussion. I've answered the first question for you because I realised after I'd written this and put the PowerPoint up together that it probably doesn't make much sense. Um, but the rest of the questions I haven't. <laughs> so, um, how does a decaying tree relate to us as God's people? And where are the times in your life when we bear fruit? And where can we spend more time with God, with Jesus, in order to bear more fruit? So it's linking slightly back into what we were talking about with prayer. Um, but thinking slightly more practically, how can we actually find the time to spend our time with God? Um, I'd love it if we could come away with one time over this Lent where we're going to try every day to spend time with God. It might be five minutes when you wake up, or five minutes in your lunch break, whenever it is. Um, but I think it's really important that as we come away from each of these sessions, and as we're in this time of Lent, looking forward to um, Jesus on the cross, 
and looking forward to Jesus coming again, that we need to be in a time of preparation and a time of spending that time with God, spending that time letting him refresh us. Um, yeah, so let's go into a time of discussion. Um, we have about 10 minutes left of the session, I believe, and I'd like to leave a bit of time at the end for some prayer. So I'm going to give us like five minutes and then I'll do a bit more talking and then we can pray. Um, cool, great, five minutes. So let's come back together. So hopefully you have maybe one or two practical ways that you can um, bring that quiet time into your life. Maybe you don't, maybe, maybe you can keep praying and thinking about it over um, the rest of this evening, all 20 minutes left, and the rest of, um, the rest of this week. So how does Jesus want us to live? Well, he wants us to have time in his presence. To know what it's like to be in God's presence, then we need to give our time to him. He doesn't want us to fill every second with something like it was in the temple where everything was filled. Jesus is calling us to bear fruit. And to do that, we, we do it by spending time in his presence. Jesus is both majestic and meek. He loves us. He is our king. He is our humble sacrifice. Um, and he is the reason that we are eternally forgiven for all the things that we, are do we have done. And Jesus wants us to spend time in his presence. Both by making that quiet time and also by spending time with him, spending time where we are able to bear fruit whatever that might mean, whether that's having a conversation with a friend that um, you know doesn't believe, or whether that's just being a witness in your workplace, showing the people around you that God loves them. Um, whatever that fruit might, might be, it can be, it's individual to all of us. Um, God made each of us uniquely, therefore the fruit that we bear will be unique to, to us but let's spend time in his presence. Is that a question? Yeah. Yeah. Has, has, anyone, has anyone done this towards you in your life? As so in? I, yeah, because I, I had a moment. I was, I was just sitting in a bus station. You know, I was a teenager. And just smoked a joint. And um, someone just walked up to me and gave me a card saying, yeah. Jesus loves you. Yeah, in this nice, colourful like, letter and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we can make them. I mean, we could all have our own individual Jesus loves you cards that are, that are unique to you. Um, I have had people do that. I, a girl at my school was adamant that she would get me to church, and it took her literally took her six years for me to actually come to church. I was 11, between the ages of 11 and 17, and she finally got me to come along because she said that there were there were boys. <laughs> like, cool, that's fine then. Um, yeah. Turns out God had other plans, but there we go. <laughs> um, 
So let's spend just a little bit of time praying. We literally have two minutes, maybe even a minute, a minute and a half. Um, so let's spend that time praying with the people that we've been chatting to. Um, pray through where you see um, where you see fruit in your life. Pray through the times where you want to spend more time with God, those quiet times. Um, ask God to open up the times for you. That's what I, I, I do that every day. I say to God, please just, just give me five minutes in my day where I can spend, spend time with you. Um, so let's just spend the last two minutes praying. And then I will pray at the end. Um, and once we finish praying, it'd be really helpful if everyone can, if you're able, lift your chair that you're sitting on and take it back downstairs. But before we do that, I need to check that the theology track has finished. Otherwise, we're going to walk in with loads of chairs and they're going to get really annoyed. Um, so let's spend a few minutes praying and I will end in prayer. <coughs> And so, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that we've been able to delve into your word. That we've been able to learn more of who you are. And let that knowledge of your love, of Jesus' humanness, yet sovereignty and godliness into our hearts. And I ask as each of us leaves this place and goes on into our weeks, that we would have the time to spend with you, that we would feel prompted, that we would feel called into your presence, so that we won't be like the fig tree that's decaying on the inside, but we will be trees that bear fruit trees that are firmly rooted in you and secure in the knowledge of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.